Well, hello, hello, hello. You have tuned in to the zone we call the fractured brain. I'm your host, Jeff Abai, a.k.a. Jimmy P. Brown II. And thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate it. Today is uh, August 30th. And... um, yeah, still got a bit of a frog in my throat, and um, I have not sung that hard in a long time. Um, but you know, when I was able to, when you know, when I would finally arrive at rehearsal and, um sang it just happened it came through and actually got better got stronger um it was just my talking voice that sounds funny but I was able to sing no issue um and that's a good thing because it used to be the reverse for me um when I was uh touring with Deliverance um, it was very, very difficult for us to book uh, back-to-back shows because my voice would be completely thrown um, and blown out. And so I would have to take a day or two off and then come back. Um, and, and like I said, what was funny is my talking voice was fine. I just couldn't sing. Um, where this is a little strange because my speaking voice is a little off. And, um, but yet my, um, singing voice is unaffected. So I thought, that's fine. I'll take it (laughs) either way. So had a blast. Um, you know, I received some, some great emails of encouragement and, uh, thank you for that. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun uh, going and jamming with the fellas, getting to actually meet them in person for the first time. Um, now, Phil, I had met, I guess, you know, 20, 30 years ago, but, uh, you know, it was in passing at a show and he came to, you know, I, I did not realize um, what a large, large uh, deliverance fan he was. I mean, he's just really hugely into deliverance and you know i mean all the metal from that era so uh all these years later to be playing with um one of his uh favorite bands uh lead singer in a new project um really means a lot to him and that's really really cool and um you know he was sharing that with me on some of our downtime and then getting to meet Nuncio, um, the guitar player. You know, again, we'd only really been dealing with each other um, via, you know, a phone call, but mostly just through text uh, and emails. So um, it's really cool uh, to finally everybody all together in, in one place, um, myself, Manny Nuncio, and Phil. It was really cool. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, 
so we we had done a podcast or i i started to record one and um i i didn't realize that uh a one of the one part got interrupted by a phone call because i forgot to go into airplane mode um and uh yeah i didn't even know about the airplane mode i was told um that um as a matter of fact by the camera guy um the of um um the video shoot that we did that yeah if you don't want to be interrupt interrupted when you're shooting video or if you're um doing a podcast on your phone just just go into airplane mode and it's like oh didn't know that good to know <laughs> all right but um unfortunately uh those episode that that episode got lost so um next time in texas i'm in texas um we will revisit that and do a, a, a podcast with my three guests with uh, with Eraserhead. And uh, it'll be a fun time. So uh, I'm going to hopefully try to get out there by the end of September. Um, but, you know, a lot is left to be seen there, you know, finances and, and all that. So, um. So today's topic, of course, I always start with an opening just to let you guys know how things were. But but just to let you know, Texas was great. It was fun. Um, weather was extremely humid. Um, you know, I'd been given multiple accounts, multiple reports of what weather's like there. And uh, what I experienced um, was not unfamiliar. Um but when you're used to the dryness of Vegas, um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough going from 12% humidity, which is a lot for us during the summer, and then go into uh, 70% humidity. It's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a little bit tough. Um, but uh, no, I mean, had a good time. Stayed in a very nice room, um, and uh, I was comfortable. And um, got to go out with the guys um, a couple times. Mostly just food brought in and whenever Manny would cart me around, that kind of thing. But um, but had a blast nonetheless. It was... Uh, um, the airport was, um, was strange. Uh, I'll just give this. Uh, so I get to Vegas... Um, airport which is like three miles from me um load in you know go over there take my guitar case check it in um and um then then um when i go through tsa um i mean they're like yeah leave your laptops in your in your bags you know all electronics there just take your belt off your shoes i go through the x-ray machine blah 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 and, I mean, it was that simple. Uh, here <laughs> in Texas, so I thought it was going to go just as smoothly. So because I go up to the gate, um, they even gave me a pre-TSA check um, because the guy checking me in immediately recognized that this was an instrument case and uh, holding two guitars and 
Um, he's like, oh yeah, yeah. So that way they don't, they don't bother it and have to open it and not reseal it. Right. He goes, cause I have one of these cases and, um, and, uh, you know, so he gave me a special tag, told me where to go drop it. Boom, bam, boom. So it was like, great. And I got in the TSA line and it was short and I was very pleased. And, um, but now they're yelling at us, you know. Okay, take all your electronics out, anything, and put those in a separate tray and blah, blah. I'm like, oh, man, my bag is tight. I mean, it was packed very well, packed very tight and hard to get that laptop out. But I did it. Um, and then I, I take my belt off, take my shoes off go through the the radar thing or the the metal detector and they decide that between my knees and my waist area um it's showing that there's metal or something so i'm gonna have to be checked and i'm told to put my hands up and i have never i mean i i mean literally not only, I mean, it, it, so it was literally from the waist down, but it, they went all the way to my feet. They wanted my hands, my bare hands and my bare wrists, um, which was really weird. Um, but man, when they searched, they searched. I mean, I was felt up from my ankles all the way up to the groin um butt cheeks spread apart i mean i'm sorry to be so graphic but i mean it was like wow i mean and full cupping i mean it was like what are you guys looking for you know and then reaching in in from the waistband all the way around i mean putting their hand down my pants it was really really weird um, now, had I been the only one, but I saw them doing this to somebody else on the other side. And then the guy who followed me, they did the same thing to him while I was gathering all my stuff and having to repack my laptop into my bag and, and my carry on. And, and, and I'm like, what in the world? So either the Austin airports, TSA really overly takes their job seriously or they had to have had a bomb threat or a scare or something. I don't know. I mean, it's because I'd never seen a TSA act like that. But uh, anyway, it was, I, it was the first time in flying uh, since this kind of uh, stuff started happening with the TSA thing um, that that's ever happened like to that extremity. I mean, it was just really, really weird. Um I mean, I flew all the way across Europe and, and, and uh, you know, over when I went in 2019 to the UK and to Germany and to uh, even Norway. And no, didn't have any of that. But yeah, that was, that was just weird. It was weird. So um, I follow on YouTube, I follow a, a gal named Mary Splendor, great artist. She's uh, from England, and she's uh, she's an acoustic player. She just uh, has a, a wonderful vibe about her. 
and um, she did a video about the the dark side of ambition. And, uh, you know, I applaud her for doing that. I, I, I sent her a private message and just told her, you know, that is really, really great that you did that because, you know, people don't understand um, the rigors involved with um, with touring. And now, now here's the thing with deliverance. This is the the honest truth we were Christian celebrities so we did have a mild um, shot or a mild part of stardom in the Christian music community Um, but again, so, so this, so I can paint a picture. Um, so if you grab a pencil and you draw a little dot and say, okay, that's deliverance and then start at that little dot and then draw a bigger circle that ends, um, you know, begins and ends on that dot well, that was where deliverance was compared to the rest of CCM, contemporary Christian music industry. So very, very small part. So a very, very small fish or a very, very big fish in an incredibly tiny pond that bled into this lake that was the CCM so now go to that same area and then draw an even bigger circle okay Um, and make that circle that you just drew uh, the size of the dot comparison to the circle that was drawn make that the dot and draw that big of a circle and that is the contemporary Christian music world to the rest of the music listening world. So this vast, vast ocean of music listeners. And then you have this very small dot called the CCM, the Christian you know, uh, contemporary Christian music scene. And then we're a blip inside that tiny little pond. So if that analogy of being a big fish in a small pond or, you know, in a small pond, um, well, we were a very big fish that was hanging out in a puddle or a fish tank. So that just kind of describes where it was. So um, so the fact that I have any notoriety is very, very surprising to me. Um, I, I'm always flabbergasted, shocked, and extremely grateful 
when I'm recognized by anybody. Um, because um, I just always had seen that we were just on a very, very small part of the spectrum. Uh, when you look at the entirety of the music listening world. So when I get letters from or emails, well, back in the day it was letters, letters from Brazil, from Japan, from Chile, from uh, Russia, <laughs> from Germany, the UK, France, uh, Greece. Um, when I see those letters uh, and now emails. And then, of course, I go into the um, analytics of Spotify and um, Apple Music and even this podcast, The Fractured Brain. And I, I look at the demographic because it maps out the entire world. And the fact that people are listening, okay, listening to Spotify, uh, Apple Music, uh, and other realms, you know, iHeartRadio and, and everything else that might include a Deliverance song or a Jimmy P. Brown the Second song. Um, and that people are listening uh, from all points of the world. It really is, is it's mind staggering. It, it just, it just like blows you away. And, um, I mean, I can't help but be incredibly grateful, but because it's very scattered again, I'm still in that very small pond. Cause again, take, all the oceans of the world, all the water of the world, the planet blue and, and, you know, then segregate a tiny little, little, tiny little portion, maybe like a swimming pool. That's what it feels like. So, but to have fans from every spectrum or every part of the world of the landmass is is mind-blowing and um it's quite wonderful to know but you know i can't imagine i've tried i mean i really have i've really tried to imagine what it would like to be um like 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 a metallica like um, uh, an Aerosmith or a Guns N' Roses or uh, or even Bowie, you know, where you announce a show and you know tickets are sold out in a matter of hours, if not minutes, um, and you're not showing up to play and. And thinking in the back of your brain, gosh, I hope there's, you know, at least 500 or 1,000 people there. But you show up and there's, you know, 
60,000 people. I mean, I, I can't imagine that kind of a tour, that kind of uh, an aggressive tour schedule. And the kind of work that would go into making that tour happen. Because I did it on such a tiny, tiny, tiny scale. Microscopic compared to these. And it was hard enough to do what we did. Um, and, you know, you, you can't always blame it on budget. Because, you know, budget has nothing to do with us not sleeping us not eating well, you know, us feeling exhausted, you know, any uh, sprains or, or, you know, or, or breaks or pain or anything else in the body that's happening as a result of not sleeping, not eating, not taking care of yourself and, you know, uh, doing everything, all the acrobats on the stage and, and moving around and singing. I mean, people don't realize singing and playing guitar it's not easy. It's hard. It takes a lot out of you. And um, and then playing guitar and drums, the, the cardio of the drums. Um, I mean, it's, it's a lot. And we're not even talking about all that because that has nothing to do with money. That has to do with you. So, you know, because like I said, people always immediately jump to, well, if you had a bigger budget, you know, no, that's not always the answer. So like I said, I, I, I can't even imagine inside or, 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 I mean, I've tried. And so when Mary goes into this, uh, explanation of, you know, she's using Dave Grohl and, and Nirvana as an example and, and then she's bringing up other, you know, other artists as well, you know, that get hooked on different types of drugs, you know, you know, um, I mean, gosh, we all knew about Elvis, you know, Elvis had, you know, the, the pills that woke him up, the pills that put him to sleep, the pills that made the stomach pains go away, the pill, the pills that would stop him up. So he didn't have to use the bathroom very much because he had an aversion, um, and uh, to have to go to the bathroom all the time, and then he would have pills that made him go to the bathroom. I mean, you get hooked on this weird regimen of different things, all to make the show, to make the concert, to just please your fans, to make sure they're happy. And here, as the artists... I will say this. We're glad to do so. Oh, sure. We're going to gripe. We're going to complain. We'll even have our times of making a scene. But in the end, we're just happy somebody came. And that you showed up. That you paid your money for the ticket. And we we're, we're going to do the best to give you the, the best show possible. So... Again, I was on an incredibly tiny part of that scale. And I couldn't imagine the pressures of doing it on a huge scale. 
And uh, it makes you sit back as an artist and wonder, do I really want worldwide fame and, and to sell millions of records? Because, I mean, I said it before, and I got a lot, a lot of flack for it. I mean, a lot of flack for it. That when I said, uh, the Christian musician that says, you know, I've just, I went into this with full humility and I don't want to be recognized or known. It's all God. I'm pointing everything. Well, God doesn't need a musician to go out and promote him. Um, so you're not doing it for God. You're doing it to promote yourself. Um, otherwise your album would just be titled God and your songs would be, you know, songs, tracks, one, two, three, four, five. Everyone would just be called God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Then starting again, God, Spirit, Jesus, Holy Spirit. You know, because if you were really wanting to do nothing but promote God, then you would be completely out of the equation. So the fact that your name is on production credits, your name is on guitar credits or vocal credits or any other credits, no. You, you you want recognition for the work that you put in. You know, just like when I used to see guitar players, you know, go out there and do this ridiculous solo and, and you know, uh, and then point the finger up like, it's only because of him that I can do this. And it's like, uh, even the Lord's looking at you and going, uh, no, because you decided to play guitar number one about 20 years ago and you decided that every single day you were going to play your guitar for x amount of hours and practice these scales and learn every ingve composition or, or did i make you do that <laughs> see that's the that's the part you know where, where it gets a little you know in my opinion harebrained I mean, we get into what we get into because we do want to be recognized. And that doesn't mean that you're not an artist. It doesn't mean that you don't have an artist's heart that you just want to make the best art possible. But for the person to actually say, you know, just, I mean, like one of the things like uh, with Dave Grohl's new book that he states, um, you know, that, that Nirvana was there and they were asked, what do they want? And, and, um, you know, uh, I, I guess, uh, Kurt said, I, I want us to be the biggest band in the world. Well, that's such a strange thing to be hearing, uh, from the anti-establishment man. Um, now, why would Dave be saying this? Is he lying? Is he out to besmirch his character? Is he out to... No, he's just telling the truth. Because it never made sense to me that why have a band? Why go play clubs? Why go play shows? Why sign a record deal? Why even make a demo and send it to record companies if this isn't what you want? If you don't want to be a touring band and you don't want to be a part of the establishment, then why are you doing this? It just, you know, that whole Pearl Jam and that Seattle scene that had that anti-establishment thing, it just, it never made sense to me. 
Because it's like, if you didn't want this, then why are you pursuing the very avenues that will lead you to this or hopefully lead you to this? So my point being, there's not an artist that gets into any of this. Even if you're just a musician, you're not a songwriter, you're not any, you just, you know, and you, you just are a great, great player and a session player. Now, see, those session players, I think they're almost more uh, the anti-establishment artist type of kind of guy uh, than the actual artists themselves because half these session players that have played on record since the 50s and the 60s and the 70s are all guys you've never heard of. And that you would never even know they played that great guitar lick or that memorable moment, that background vocal was sung or anything else. These session players, they, they, they are, and they're the unsung heroes. Nobody knows that it's them making all these grooves and these music and, and all this stuff. And they don't want to be known. They don't even need their name on the composition or on the record release because they received their payment for what they did in the studio for that day and they leave. So that seems more along the lines of the anti-establishment. You know, it's like, yeah, pay me for my work, but then I'll just quietly go home. I don't need all the recognition. So I've never understood the, the ones that go out and do everything to achieve the recognition, get it, and then complain that they've got it. That just, that just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, and then people turn the finger at me and say, well, you know, you constantly poo-poo and hate on your fans because they want deliverance, and they want speed metal, and they want this. And it's like, there's a little difference. See, when I was 15 and started the band and we were a speed metal band, sure, I wanted us to be known as a speed metal band. But as I, as I continued to grow as an artist, as a writer, um, I could have chosen the route of, you know, doing the Slayer thing and just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over. Or... Um, go and try to explore other avenues of playing, other avenues of singing, other avenues of songwriting, other avenues. Of, I mean, there's a core sound to my guitar playing that is never going to go away. Um, I've tried already. I've tried doing the Jupiter six record and records and the fearful symmetry records, even one fearful symmetry record with no guitars um, and it just doesn't, it, it, it didn't work as much as I love that stuff. Um, it didn't translate well as, oh, this is Jimmy's voice. This is Jimmy's character. Um, because the guitar was missing because the guitar and the guitar sound that boogie crunch or whatever it, it, um, that is part of my voice. That's part of my sound. Um, now, it can vary in tone. It can vary in vibe. But it's, it's still a, a, a core part of who I am. So, 
Um, and I tried escaping that. And I think that was probably the biggest mistake. Um, I think what Frontline Records wanted to do with me um, and stay of execution, because some, some people know this, some people don't. I've said it in other interviews, but like when when I went to go review the artwork for stay of execution, um, it said Jimmy P. Brown's Deliverance. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. We already have, um, three records under the moniker deliverance. And I I go, I don't think I like that. And so I asked them to remove it. And then, uh, we did learn and they tried to do it again. And I said, no. And they're like, listen, stylistically, the music has changed so we need to start kind of identifying this as your solo project because you're switching band members every record you're you know you're you're going the route of a solo artist um where yeah you have a couple of key people that are sticking with you but you know overall just kind of like Bowie had Carlos Alomar with him for 10 albums and and, uh, and you know etc you know you you have to go that route and i just i i avoided it and tried not to do it until uh the end uh in 96 and then uh when we reunited in 2001 um i wanted to do it then but the whole thing you know deliverance regrouped played the heavens metal stage over at cornerstone it was a bit you know they built it as the triumphant return we did um, the Assimilation album, uh, and it was another drastic change. And um, so I bailed. I bailed on the whole thing and put out the next Deliverance record, which I'd already written, and uh, called This Sad Veil of Tears. And at that point, I decided, okay, I'm going to put this out under Jimmy P. Brown II. Then I was a coward and decided, no, I don't want my, I don't want my name on it. And so I'll just, I'll just put it under the name Fearful Symmetry. So stuck with Fearful Symmetry and, um, then was asked to do, um, a Bowie seventies kind of glam rock tribute album, you know, to all the seventies glam rock bands, you know, Angel and, um, sweet and, and, and stuff like that. And, and, uh, of course, Iggy and Bowie and, you know, T, T Rex. And, and, uh, and they wanted me, the label wanted it done under Jimmy P. Brown the second. And that was the plan until the very end. And then it turned into Jupiter six, uh, cause I chickened out and, um, yeah, and then a few more Deliverance records came along the way, and which should have never happened, but nonetheless, they did. And I should have long ago done that and really, really just separated myself. And then when the right time comes, 
you know, do like what we did with Subversive Kind. In other words, give the fans what they want. But, you know, have the Jimmy P. Brown thing going all along. Um, But I was also on a different trajectory at that time. You know, I was concentrating on my casino marketing career and, you know... You know, doing the for building a 401k or retirement and all this other stuff. And, you know, I, I, I didn't really care about music anymore. And I looked at it and I just kept saying, you know, as, as I was entering my 30s, you know, I'm too old for this nonsense. And then 40s came, same thing. And now I'm 53 this year, next month or, yeah, close to next month because we're already going into September. And, um, and I'm still struggling with that. You know, I get emails, all the encouraging emails, trust me, they're lovely and beautiful. But I get some really, really disastrously terrible ones um, that just are, 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 it's so weird because I wouldn't take the time to write somebody, whether I felt this or not about them, I wouldn't take the time to go and do it. But I mean, people take the time to write me to tell me you're a has been, you're a hack, you're, you're this, you're that. Um, you need to give it up. Just leave room for the young youngsters, and you know you're you're going to need Social Security. You're going to need a retirement. You're going to need a four hundred one k. Why are you doing this? And and I've even been told by you know friends, quote unquote, that have. Uh, you know, money from mommy and daddy and money from their spouses um, to rely on and to fall back on. So, of course, they don't have to worry about it, you know, but tell me, you know, yeah, you, you, you need to stop. You need to. This is ridiculous. The music's crap. But the hilarious part is if I were to turn around and say, OK, well, will you help me write a record? They jump right on it. And I know that for a fact because they've done it. They had done it, you know, spent years prior telling me you're a hack, you're a has-been, give it up. And then the minute I ask for their help or say, you know, you want to you want to work with me on this kind of record and they jump right on it. It's um, it's just weird. It's really, really weird. And I don't know. I, I think I said it. um on a podcast that was uh, asked to participate in last week, you know, there's so many millions of people out there that want to be an artist and want to be a musician and want to be known. And it's like, man, if you only knew what you were asking for, (laughs) this is not something that you just want to become. I really believe that it's something that you just are. And the direction you take it is where it's going to go. Now, there was a time where I wanted to sell millions of records and tour the world constantly and all of that. I would be content, literally content, with making enough money so that way... I can sustain me and Helen comfortably, allow her to pursue her pursuits without worry. Um, and me pursue 
music 100% without worrying, you know, um, that would be enough for me. And then do a good string of shows every single year throughout the United States, Europe, South America, anywhere that um, the promoters would feel confident that they could draw people to come and see, come and listen, come and enjoy the experience. I would be quite content. That would be fun, you know? So for a promoter to successfully fly me out to a venue and my band and do all of that, you know, what are you, what are you looking at? You know, a few grand and then, you know, so you charge people 25 bucks a head. As long as he gets a thousand people there or 800 people after all is said and done, as long as he can cover his expenses, then it's reasonable, you know, or 500 people, whatever the, the math they work out for themselves. Um, see, that's great. Now, would it be fun to play in front of 20, 30,000 people a night? Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine uh, the adrenaline rush. But I've also heard from other artists that do do that. And we played Igthus Festival to a very large number of people. And I cannot help but say this, but I felt a disconnect because a few shows prior to that, um, even though they were loud, they were screaming the lyrics, there was everything, there was a disconnect compared to the night before with a thousand people. And, you know, because when you're playing in 20, 30,000 plus, um, it's really a trip. It's, it's, it's like I said, it's a different energy, but it's, it's a great thing when it's a smaller club, you know, 800,000 people, there's just a different energy in the room. And I definitely understand that. So, um, yeah. So that dark side of ambition that Mary was talking about, I totally get it. And some people don't know what it is that they want or wish for or ask for. And um, like I said, I would be happy with just a modest amount to tour, to do, to live. I don't need the giant house. I don't need planes. I don't need expensive cars. You know, I don't need any of that. Just happy to make it and enjoy and give my fans what they want and then plan 50 60 shows a year go out and let's do it let's make it happen man that would be fun you know and uh but you know all we can do is uh do our best to hope <laughs> You know, I again, it is a struggle inside at 53. Do I just hang it up and go and get a job? You know, because I'll shoot straight. You guys already know I'm back on the unemployment line. And, you know, 
unemployment hasn't kicked in. And so I'm still sitting here with, you know, a month now without a paycheck, uh, with Patreon diminishing, you know, it's shrinking right now. Why? I don't know. Um, after this whole time, but it's okay. I, I, you know, and, and like I said, I've, I receive for all the lovely emails I do receive. There's that one that creeps in at least once a week. It just basically says you're a hack. Give it up. It's over. You know? But, um... I just don't give up that easily, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, I thought... You know, I'm sure you're thinking, okay, so, you know, what's the means to an end? What is... What's the purpose of this conversation? It's It's... It's exactly this. A fractured brain episode. <laughs> so I just give you what's on my head at the moment and just talking and talking and talking, but I won't take any more of your time. In fact, uh, the little warning is coming up that uh, the maximum recording time is coming approaching. So I'm going to end it here, but thank you so much for joining me. I'll do another one later this week. Um, but I have to get back to working on the new um, JPBII album, the new Jepabai album. Because um, this year of not being able to work has been tough. And um, I've already got a couple of songs down that sound great, and I want to keep going. So got some work to do, but just wanted to stop by, tune in, and uh, express my love, gratitude, and I wish you all love and light and peace, and uh, we will talk to you soon. You've been listening to The Fractured Brain. <laughs>